Hello, and welcome to Orchestral Theatre, a series of conversations about interdisciplinary work involving orchestras. I'm Adrian Curtin. In a way, classical music and opera, it's got all of these moving parts that are very, very difficult, very sensitive. And so it's really easy to break it and do it wrong. I think Imagined Occasions in particular was one of those extremely difficult, complicated, but in retrospect, really worthwhile, memorable uh, experiences. And um, it seems to be a little bit of a pattern in our work over the years. These, these, these projects that take so much from you and are so complicated, with so many challenges that maybe you wouldn't have started if you knew how challenging they would have been. That's Harry Ross and Helen Scarlett O'Neill, my guests for this episode. Harry and Helen collaborate as part of a company called Fruit for the Apocalypse, who present audio-kinetic adventures in opera, ballet and composition, working with emerging artists and forging new collaborations in a site-responsive context. In my conversation with them, I ask about their collaboration with the London Contemporary Orchestra on a series of site-responsive concerts that took place in London in 2013, entitled Imagined Occasions. Helen and Harry, I wonder if you could begin by describing the Imagined Occasions project, especially for someone who hasn't um, attended it or who doesn't know much about it. It was a collaboration uh, between Harry and I uh, and our uh, collective Fruit for the Apocalypse and the London Contemporary Orchestra. And the aim of it was um, Harry and I had been designing and producing secret cinema and we'd been developing immersive site responsive practice through that. And we wanted to see what learnings from that could be applied to the contemporary classical music concert scene. Helen and I went with our company, Fruits of the Apocalypse. The first show we ever did was about sound. It was on World Listening Day and was site-specific. So I got chatting to Hugh and Rob, and then um, we thought it'd be fun to do some work together. Mm. Uh, so we did some light work together. Um, well, not that light. We did a Harrison Bertwistle ballet in a disused theatre. Um, Which was part of the, the the Commonwealth Institute, now the Design yeah. Museum. So it had been derelict for 10 years and this really was like an underworld going down into this theatre. So that was the first uh, site-responsive uh, project that we did with LCO, yeah. And then they wanted to do... Uh, uh, they, they came to us wanting to do... a. a an extensive concert series that was site responsive where they would commission some work that would resonate with the building and we would collaborate on finding the right program and then the right narrative to push the audience through the event and have them and help them interact with the event um, which is how we came up with imagined occasions collectively and that was 2013 uh 2014 was it 2013 or 2014 i can't remember probably needs a wee fact fact check there (laughs) for for exact dates of each concert but it was a series of three and to give you an idea of this um 
what we were going for in terms of the building resonating with the programming. The first one was in Aldwych Underground Station. Uh, I think it was the first. It was the first legitimate concert. Because it used to be used for raves back in the 90s. Yeah. But it was the first licensed concert ever. Yeah, it was tough uh, in terms of bar. Uh, we had to actually ask about bar safety if you want to afterwards. But to go back to the, the building and the programming, it was Oldwich Underground Station. And the the key piece of music programming was Gloust. Yeah, called Vivier. So it's the Glaub's Fragment by Vivier, which, which was great. Which if you, if you Harry, maybe explain a little bit. Do you know, you know Glaub's by? I know of it. This is the piece that kind of presaged his his own death in a, in a weird yeah. way, right? And on... it's all about being on the metro in mm. Paris and looking for danger and this kind of lonely feeling of the city. So we did that on the metro, but not Using in Paris. Using the building, uh, yeah. So the audience would move through and there were other pieces that also played into this idea of transiting people in an underground station. Mm. So that was the, the central piece, I guess, in that in that concert, but not the only piece. So there was a connected program that also kind of resonated with it and, and gave a kind of um, narrative of sorts yeah. to the occasion. Yeah, so we had different... Um, pieces and, and different instruments. For example, there was a choral piece, um, Angels. Jonathan Harvey. Jonathan yeah. Harvey. Yeah. Uh, and that was um, in, in a tunnel in the darkness and all the, the singers had head torches on. So we were we were thinking about the, the overall story within Gloucest and also the, the the kind of the brilliant musicians that LCO had access to that believed in their in their projects. And um, uh, the the spaces and instruments that would work within the spaces, and how we could use the space in an interesting way to heighten the 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 music that was being presented. So that was the challenge, and that was the first in a series of three. And that one was also based on Kierkegaard. The idea of imagined occasions is taken from a, a Kierkegaard text. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And then. The second show was at the Roundhouse. So that was um, Conrad Shawcross. Yeah. He had uh, recently installed his um, timepiece. Is that the official name yeah, of the piece? Yeah, it was called Time Timepiece. Yeah, Time. I think it was time, called Timepiece time piece. by Conrad Shawcross. And um, so essentially, the Roundhouse has twelve pillars, and so he created this clock hands um, mechanical structure hanging from the, the ceiling massive piece and so we decided uh, with the LCO to uh, program sort of the kind of the centerpiece of that second imagined occasions uh, was Stockhausen's clang and 24 we, hours of the day. We were going to do all of clang um, because we thought that would be a good idea and uh, we drove out to meet um, Katinka, and she was like, no, 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 you cannot do that. And it's funny because it's one of those things where, no, I, 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 was, I, I called her, we, we, we had a chat, we had a, a, a conference call with her, and she went, no, 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 it's not how it works. And we sort of thought, do you know what? We could just do it, but then we decided to all go and visit her and the musicians spent a long time working with her and then we um 
we chose the pieces that we wanted to that that, that had the that had the most resonance over the time that um, they were workshops yeah. with Katinka. And then we came back and we, but we had a concept that everything had to have the colors that Stockhausen, he requests colors, but no one's done it with the colors. So we got a load of white clothes by yeah, from Vivian so, Westwood. Yeah, it was a Vivian Westwood partnership. <laughs> and so she costumed all of the, the musicians uh, or her, her, her stylists did. Her people. And her people. Her people. <laughs> and uh, so the way that we got around the colour issue was because um, we remember the lighting was Conrad Shawcross' piece. And so he gave me actually the controls to it. So I was able to work with it oh, wow. in a, with the musicians so that the timepiece would move and change in speed. So that was the lighting, but it was a single colour light source. So musicians in the white Vivian Westwoods and what we did was we gave the audience a program that included a little envelope with four pairs of bespoke Pantone glasses little <laughs> cardboard glasses like you usually get for you know 3D That's you so know funny. dinosaur <laughs> cereal box type things <laughs> but you know with the the exact uh, Pantone gel in them so the audience would put on the right color for the right hour Ah. We went a stage further as well. So we came across uh, as it Nikki Segnet? Nikki Segnet. Nikki Segnet. Because uh, so Stockhausen had assigned a particular pantone to each hour of the day. But Kadinka was telling us that there was also uh, a kind of further uh, thinking from Stockhausen about smells and this is turning into smellovision these oh, experiments yeah. in the in the 50s and 60s right we're scratch and so, sniff cards right <laughs> so we had smellovision but we also had taste of vision so <laughs> and, um, designed the flavor of thesaurus which is her categorization of taste in which i think would have visually and conceptually really appealed to stockhausen uh so we we worked with her to create uh a, a taste for each hour as well. That's brilliant. Also kind of shades of Willy Wonka about this. <laughs> yeah, we really went there, I guess. <laughs> you know, one of our aims was to try and bring the audience closer into the thinking of the, the composer. Uh, and so we felt like this would have appealed to the way in which he categorised the hours and, and gave them colours, not just sounds. So, so yeah, we, we, we really leaned into it, but I think that that helped the audience perhaps understand how, how far he was leaning into these hours, not just sonically. Sure. Yeah, it sounds like a really, you know, sensorially rich, um, you know, possibly synesthetic even uh, yeah. experience. Some people actually said after that concert, there are a couple of composers who are friends and they said it was like taking acid without taking the acid. <laughs> Which is fair enough. <laughs> we'll take that. Yeah, I'll Absolutely. take that. Absolutely. <laughs> derangement, derangement of the senses, right yeah. after Rambo. Uh, so, and the third one, yeah. Catch. Catch. Catch was the centerpiece. That was about drugs. It was. It was, no, about, it was about matter physics. and antimatter. It was a, a physics-based uh, one, and so the audience was actually split for this uh, piece. It was at uh, the Oval, so Which looking looking out onto the gasometers. In Bethnal Green, it's uh, quite a well-known, I think it's closed now, 
but it was uh, quite a sort of countercultural rave venue with some of the you know best DJs would play there uh, in a very intimate setting. And then we... So we were kind of inspired by that as well. Yeah. And we, so we ordered, you know, these dissolvable pill capsules. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, we, we created uh, micro programs ah. that we rolled up and we put inside the capsules. Ah, I've seen a photograph of like a, a, a ticket stub with a program printed on it. Is that what this was? Yeah. Yeah. This possibly was one of the contents of these capsules, <laughs> but like the, we, we had two, two, flavors of capsule <laughs> one uh when the paper was rolled up read anti-matter and one read matter and the audience uh would take one of these capsules they would go into the building uh, in a different direction so playing off of uh catch and uh thinking about two different points in time mm. two, two kilometers two groups of audiences it was about that point of connection and attraction between two entities and so the the audience would move through the building and the the climactic moment was when the audiences were revealed to each other one on each side of a long piece of glass that that separates the the main room from the gasometers with an outdoor space outside and we worked with choreographer Mari Frogner and her company Nutshell Dance and she's she's brilliant we worked with her on Secret Cinema she's got this fantastic way of Inviting audience movement without ever having to tell them what to do. And so she managed to seed people within the, the audience at key moments. And all the audience reached out and touched each other through the glass through, with their fingertips oh, to wow. fingertips. So there were people in the audience who were who were plants, as it were, who were uh, inflecting and informing the audience behavior. Yes. So it's kind mm. of a, a gentle, gentle, Nudge. helped spontaneity. <laughs> So we, we we developed stuff like that through our work with Secret Cinema and 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 her choreographing the audience uh, and so yes we were building up to this moment where the two audiences would meet matter and antimatter and touch through the glass and sounds very fun. cool sounds very cool I'm I'm the more you speak the more uh, annoyed I am that I didn't get to experience any of these um, <laughs> concerts myself and it's I'm only hearing tell tell of them now like nine or so years later. It's mentioned in the program blurbs that these concerts had um, a kind of narrative arc about them, and I'm wondering what the narrative components of the of the second and third concerts were, and if the concerts as a whole had a kind of sense of uh, an overall trajectory or narrative arc. I guess each occasion was devised with the same basic intention, and so. Uh, and, and I'm pretty sure there were repeat attenders, but it was um, 
I guess Stock, I guess Stockhausen again being one of like the major composers that we looked in would have appreciated this idea of um, trying to build an audience that's um, become used to and can make the most of music experienced in a different way. And then the same with with any immersive performance series we've worked on, including Secret Cinema. When when you start from scratch with an audience, there's a case of kind of building up and building trust with the audience. So by the third one, I think there probably were repeat attendees, and the 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 way in which we played with the audience directly was uh, more complex and required a little bit more of them uh, than the initial concerts, for example. So there was a there was a trajectory of building up this relationship with the audience. <laughs> as a participant in exploring these compositional works. But aside from that, each occasion uh, did relate thematically to the Can previous one. I've just looked up my, our notes because it's a long time ago. Okay, go on then, Harry. <laughs> Sorry, that's why I got my phone out. I was on a text message. So yes, it was a reimagining of three imagined occasions, which was put by Kierkegaard. So it's not exactly a narrative, but a philosophical contemplation. And <laughs> basically, you've got confession marriage or time and then death hmm. which is matter antimatter so that's how you go from one to the other and so obviously the confession was dealing with it's about vivier in that one about his his realization about his confession about his homosexuality about dying then we sort of extrapolated that the composers had a relationship to each other as well the the buildings themselves that we were able to find. With any of these uh, site-responsive projects where you're programming elements of existing culture into them, like there's an element of responsivity and there's an element of curatorially placing building with, with peace. And so while there was that overarching thought, which helped us have a starting point and, you know, build a concept around, there, there was... Um, you know, room within that to respond to what sites uh, we we were able to access yeah. and how those sites impacted the, the rest of the programming. Rather than a piece of theatre, I suppose it was a piece of fine art installation in many, many respects. Uh, we're going to dis- you look like you look mm. like disagreeing vehemently with me, which is which is funny. It's good. We should debate um, these concepts. Yeah, we haven't talked about this. We, we haven't talked about. It. That sounds like it was a, a, a moment of trauma. It wasn't. There's an underground station. Roundhouse is a railway shunting yard. And oval space is a gas terminal next to a railway. Again, so you've got these kind of three mixed-use industrial sites. Some of them have become reused. Some of them are derelict. Some of them are in the middle of a transition phase. So again, that was that was very London. It was very much of its time. Um, you know, this was this was the time when we all did that. We don't do that anymore because the money's run out, I feel. Um, even at the time it was, as a producer, it was hard to put that concert on because again another thing is that it was very complicated it was kind of complicated philosophically it was complicated visually it was complicated in its content in the content of the music that we were asking people to listen to although not by proper european standards of course and yeah so 
yeah, we we went on and we did a few more um, concerts with um, with Hugh and Rob. We we did a whole show in the um, hydraulic power station in Wapping uh, with Johnny Greenwood, and then we took that show all the way to Farnborough to the um, wind tunnels because there was an art show there. So again, this was being perceived by public and funders as a as a sort of art installation work really but uh, would you yeah. would you say it's fair that imagined occasions was more of a an experiment and a high concept leads to what well, the johnny greenwood work was less complex yeah more tourable yeah it was more tourable it was more uh savvy and then when you look at I mean, there's a lot of LCO stuff now that is done with conventional visual art, if you like, um, within the concert hall space. I have a very dear composer friend uh, who always laughs about my love of doing site-specific music. And he says, well, you know, come on, it's, 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 it's London. All the concert halls are shit, so it doesn't matter. But you wouldn't do that anywhere else in Europe because everyone would go, that's just weird, just doing the concert hall because it sounds it sounds how it's meant to, you know. And that's an interesting tension as well. And that was something that Hugh and Rob were trying to commission. It's like, well, let's try and commission music that goes with the resonance of the lift shaft. Um, oh yes, yeah. that's a good point to mention. Actually, we did commission as well. These were not all pre-existing compositions. Yeah. Um. So, for example, uh, the the. The, the one at the roundhouse didn't start at the roundhouse because that's too easy, right? So it started off on, is it? Primrose Hill. Hill. Yeah, we started on Primrose Hill and had this crazy sculptural installation. Oh, fuck, and was it was it Sennheiser <laughs> gave us the, the kit? We commissioned a composer to create a piece that would take people from the hill to, to, the, uh, to the roundhouse. And so that was working with roadside traffic and it was all... short-range radio broadcasted to all these devices. So there was an awful lot of experimentation going on, uh, you know, extra. It sounds, it just sounds logistically (laughs) immense. Um, I mean, you you spoke about trauma earlier, but it wasn't traumatic, but I am kind of curious about about if you could say a bit more about the logistical challenges that you Mm -hmm. encountered and how you, how you resolved them. Well, so the as 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 Harry mentioned, the, the first concert, which was in Aldwych Underground Station, was the first legal audience invited event at all, outside of the odd tours that they might do once or twice a year to Aldwych Underground Station. So they weren't used to having public uh, in the space, and um, they also weren't used to having additional items being brought into the space so instruments we were only allowed to use instruments that could be carried out in the event of fire Mm. we we did uh buy some metal benches uh to increase seating capacity for for gloused um which had to be metal so that they couldn't ever catch fire and those could be left behind in the event of a fire but because the lift shafts were no longer, they were they were um, completely decommissioned, and it was so many steps to get from the the lobby to the actual uh, tunnels. We had to employ a 
chip train and chip train driver as part of the performance in <laughs> for the event of fire. I mean, it also was fantastic because uh, we were then able to open up the doors and the audience came in and we had a piece that was arranged in the the carriages. Wow! And this and this this train could have take could have taken off if it yes. needed to. It had a driver and it was there for health and safety, but also was a fantastic, uh, you know, prop and environment as well. So, yeah, so it was, it, so there was a lot of interesting uh, safety concerns there, but also a beautiful solution and having a working chip train for our concert. Goodness. Do you want to hear more? Prof? Oh, I do, of course. Oh, yeah, there was also technical challenges yeah. as well, because this was a new... So the, the Sennheiser radio might kept on picking up uh, pirate radio. So <laughs> I went out to Camden and found... I spent a grand on, like, dodgy MP3 players. And Sennheiser gave us really good good headphones, but with these sort of knock-off uh, iPads. <laughs> um, um, at the time, you had these... iPods iPod clips they had. Oh, yes, I remember. <clears throat> iPod mini or something, I think. It was yeah, yeah. Project. So we, we had a, a load of knockoff ones like that, <laughs> just loaded with a tiny SD card, of, which I had to do myself with with, with Ed. It was Ed and me. Yeah, things well, you don't expect was, yeah, to do. Yeah, things you don't expect to do as a composer or as a producer. But so. um, when, you know, this is was cutting-edge tech from Sennheiser at the time, and it wasn't their fault it didn't work, you know. <laughs> I'm curious about how the musicians responded to these concerts and whether or not they were, you know, how willing and able they were to to perform in the locations and places um, that you they, were asking them to. They loved it. Oh. They really, really loved it. In 20 years, the way that musicians play has just, the standard is is extraordinary. They're, they're so progressive. You know, like the extra notes on the bassoon, all of this kind of stuff that people do now. And um, the other thing is that people are more experimental. So we never had any problem with any of the instrumentalists. They really wanted to, to work. We had to... But then we had to make sure that they were okay and safe. And so rain, for instance, you can't play in the rain. It's not going to happen. Um, so we had a rain contingency and things like that. But no, they 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 were, yeah, loved running up and down the stairs. 17. <laughs> and what about the, the audiences? Did they um, behave as you expected them to? And did they have, I'm curious about like the degree of, agency they had to to make their own of the event i mean was is this like a piece of immersive theater where they can you know they can find their own way through the piece or were they more um were they more directed as to what to do and what to experience uh these were much more directed experiences we did talk with um, london contemporary orchestra about doing a much more kind of um free roaming audience concert uh, concept. Um, that's something that we've not yet been able to realize, though we have uh, a few times, even recently, tried to put together projects and, and funding bids uh, to do that. 
that's an interesting challenge and we haven't we haven't tried that yet so I can't really comment on it but um the the, the kind of tactics that we used to direct the audience in these spaces um involved things like teaching them through through physical demonstration in upon entry yeah uh, that you follow a musician so for example the musician would face them and then walk and if they didn't walk they would turn back and face them again and until they got it do you know what i mean these kind of non-verbal uh cues that you use and if you repeat them they 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 get to they get used to it and so it becomes easier and so people flow through um we don't like to have too much um right everyone we're going to the next piece there, uh, there there is a sort of tension there with with music and musicians because music is about sound and I worked with an orchestra fixed band for an art show and everyone dressed in white. And the whole evening was just key, um, music that was in E flat major. And the audience, there was no audience. The, the, the public who came, they were, I put a load of paper, it was a really simple idea, a load of paper on the floor and some crayons. And the, the orchestra was spread out so it wasn't like a conventional, so you could sit in the middle of the string section. Um, it sounded like dog shit, though, to be quite honest. You know, it does sound, you know, orchestras are designed to sound one way and project one way. So that is a consideration. So it's it's really, it would be really expensive to do um, a fully immersive orchestral concert uh, Punch Drunk obviously did um, Duchess uh, of Malfi. Duchess, no, was it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was again. I, I don't think people, I don't think the classical music critics were ready for it. But yeah, it's it's a very difficult space to to inhabit because um, there are many aesthetic considerations. So, and I don't think people have really explored yeah. it enough it's, because it's so expensive. There's aesthetic and sonic considerations, and 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 probably without going into too much detail about things we're talking to Elsio about at the moment, but, um, you know, it's probably going to feature either new composition or some sort of augmented reality sonic wizardry in order to account for the dynamics of sound and space with audience moving freely through it. So those are the challenges. I'm, I'm intrigued. It's about like how this how this project lives in your memory since it happened, and uh, you know how you think about it in terms of your career. Even I think imagined occasions in particular was one of those extremely difficult, complicated, but in retrospect, really worthwhile, memorable uh, experiences, and um, it seems to be a little bit of a pattern 
in our work over the years these 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 projects that take so much from you and are so complicated with so many challenges that maybe you wouldn't have started if you knew how challenging they would have been you know you spend a few years going oh gosh we have to do something simpler next time but then like you know that an amount of time elapses and then you're like wow that was that really pushed things and I want that again and so that's kind of the phase that we're in we're ready for more pain yeah it wasn't that painful, but it was, know, it, pain. it, was it was beautiful pain. <laughs> and and if it's not difficult, again, you know, it's. I think that if you're if if one's using subsidy, one one should try and push the envelope a bit. One should try and innovate. I mean, at the time as well, the Arts Council was all about risk taking, and I think you have to take risk and have an appetite for risk. Um, to do something but then the orchestral format or the classical format is a very complicated one it's got lots of um lots of things that more things that you you need to consider than any other art form and actually in a way classical music and opera it's got all of these moving parts that are very very difficult and very sensitive and so it's really easy to break it and do it wrong but I think it's the it's it's again it's the the the, the trying, you know we're, we're trying to do something we're trying to do something and it's not to be gimmicky to get more people in it's like you know this is based in some Kierkegaard philosophy it's just a bit you know we wanted to try can that be communicated like that and we learned a lot I think that that was a watershed moment as well it had a huge impact on the industry everybody looked at that project. It was up for a price. I mean, the ridiculous thing is a, a, an orchestra that had been around for five years was in the same category as the LSO. Uh, was it the LSO? Of, of, as the South Bank Centre for Best Concert Series. It was utterly ludicrous. But we were there like flying this little mini flag going, we do cool stuff too. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me um, about this amazing project. Um, I've, I've learned so much um, and it's been a real treat talking with you both. Thank you for being interesting in it. Uh, and, and revisiting it. And jogging our memories because mm -hmm. it is, we were talking, it's almost 10 years ago. Mm. It's, a, it's a long time. This podcast is part of a research project funded by the British Academy the UK's National Academy for the Humanities and Social Sciences.